Um, okay. It's been a, a little bit, a week or two off. Uh, what have, what did we just finish and what did we just finish before that? We just finished a mini series on Okay. What did you guys think of that? Yeah, that was good. Good. I like yeah. food. I like food. It's delicious. For sure. The only thing that's good was the bread. The bread was so good. Yeah. <laughs> I think the lamb was the best. Yes, the lamb was yeah. the best. Okay, what did you guys finish before that? Uh, uh, we uh, finished judges. Judges, yes. Everybody remember everything about judges. Yep. Yes. Burned in your memory. I remember a lot. I remember. Okay. I'm not going to ask you too many questions, uh, but I we are going to do kind of like a history-esque lesson uh, to start to kind of put us in the right context, right? So we've got the judges, and then what happens next in biblical history? We have judges, right? What happens next in biblical history? Who's the next main character that we follow? I'm going to kind of skip over Ruth because Ruth is in the time of the judges. <clears throat> it's literally the next book, guys. <laughs> Samuel. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so Samuel, uh, he's a prophet. Uh, kind of like, sometimes he's considered the last judge, even. Uh, he's got two books. Uh, and we also kind of believe that he's the one who collected all of the stories in Judges and wrote them down. Um, and then what is, what's next? Who's our main character after Samuel? First and second kings. Okay, that's a hint. <clears throat> well, you got Saul, right? <clears throat> and David. All right. And then, okay, after David, who's our main character in Jewish history? Huh? Chronicles has a lot, a lot of main characters. So the, just for your like background knowledge, the first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles are just two different perspectives on the same information. So you can look at something in Kings and look at the same event in Chronicles. They're not like one-to-one -one necessarily, but you can get different perspectives between those four books. Okay, so after King David is... Oh, what's his son? King David's son is King David Jr. <laughs> Most wise man ever to live other than Jesus. Speak up! There we go! Oh, winner. Ever heard of that guy? Oh yeah. Oh we need to re-engage our brains. Wow. Okay. So I'll give you the next set of answers, okay? okay. Who's Solomon's son? Bonus points? Solomon <laughs> <laughs> no. Ever heard of this guy? Yeah. Rehoboam? Yes. <laughs> yes? <laughs> okay. Well, it sounds like Rahab. A little. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, okay. Uh, Rehoboam is the next king of Israel, and he screws up. Really bad. Okay, so uh, you know this map, right? This is what? Yeah. That is the... That is the Mediterranean Sea. And the Red Sea is below that. This is the Dead Sea. This is Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee. Jordan River. Uh, yep, Jordan River. And so Israel is like around here ish. 
This is like the nation of Israel. All right. And uh, like if we were to look at it at a political map at this point, uh, during Rehoboam's reign, the nation splits down the middle. All right. And Jerusalem's like right here. And this is the southern kingdom. Do you guys know what the proper name for Judah? Judah. Yep. And why is it called that? Because of well it's actually two tribes but the biggest one is definitely Judah and then the other ten tribes are up here and this is the northern kingdom or yep do you know what the capital is S S A I heard something Samaria. Oh. All right. All right. So, um, essentially, like all of the people in this area by the outside world are considered Samaritans. Like this is yes. But anyhow, uh, okay. So we've got this context right. There's two kingdoms. There's a king in Jerusalem. There's a king in Samaria. And so as you go through the books of Kings and Chronicles. Uh, you get, like, this happened during King X's reign and during King Y's reign because there was a king in the two cities, but really we care about the whole nation of Israel, so they kind of jump back and forth, and sometimes it's confusing whether you're in the northern or the southern kingdom. Uh, uh, so during this time, now that there's not, like, a unified kingship, uh, how does God get messages to the people? Absolutely, through prophets. So we get a whole bunch of prophets, right? Um, <laughs> the sheet I made for you? Yes, okay. Uh, yes, so we're talking about a prophet, and if anybody can guess it, we'll, without just like going down the list, you have my admiration. Um, so essentially, like during this time, the southern kings uh, have some have some bad kings. For this kingdom, right? There's some good ones, some bad ones. Like King Josiah is in the south, right? He's the last good king. Uh, and then the north basically has all bad kings. And by bad, I mean uh, some of them did well, like economically and politically. Like they had good treaties and and worked well with their neighbors. But all of the northern uh, kings were bad spiritually. Right? They allowed Baal worship and, and other uh, worship of other gods, and they didn't you know, follow God, essentially, and didn't do what they needed to do. So the country is divided from 1922 B.C. until, anybody got it? Anybody know? 397. 721. <laughs> 721 BC and 721 BC is when the northern tri or the northern kingdom falls. All right. Uh, do you guys know how the northern kingdom fell? We're going to talk about them a lot. <clears throat> Tripped and skinned their knee. No, it's the Assyrians. Okay. Assyrians come. In 721. Uh, do you guys know when the southern kingdom fell? 
The southern kingdom fell in five... 586. 588, that's Dang. close enough. All right, so like 150 years later, and who took them over? This should be an easy one. Not there yet. The king's name starts with an N. There you go. All right. <clears throat> Babylon, right? All right. So now we've got context. Now we've got some history around us. Uh, the prophet that we're talking about was active in the northern kingdom. Seven sixty to seven twenty. So he's there at the end of the northern kingdom. Any guesses? Nope. Isaiah. Nope. <laughs> we are talking about Hosea. Hosea, that was my next one. Your next one? Yeah, that was the next one. Okay. Uh, has anybody ever heard of Hosea? Anybody ever done Hosea? I know the name, yeah. You've you've sang it in your books of the Bible song. Yes. Um, okay, I'm glad because I was like I was kind of nervous. I didn't know if you guys had ever done this one before because it's relatively obscure. But he's also kind of kind of cool uh, because he's like lots of symbolism, my kind of thing. All right. Again, our prophet is Hosea and God calls him to do some pretty difficult things. We already said he's a prophet from about 760 BC to 720 BC, that 40 year period. And he was there right at the end of the Northern Kingdom when they were taken over by the Assyrians. And his main message to the people is kind of two parts. And we're going to talk about those two parts today uh, because the first chapter of his book gives us a pretty good look into what he'll have to say the entire time. So please turn to Hosea chapter 1, start reading at verse 1, Phoebe. <clears throat> this might be a page you've never turned to before. Okay, chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, Jeroboam. the son of Joash, king of Israel. Keep going. Beginning of the world, God, Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, Go, uh, be a wife who Odom's the children of Odom's for the Lamb hath committed great Odom uh, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibleam, which conceived and bare him his son. Okay. Right into it. Uh, we've got our two characters so far. We've got Hosea. And what's his wife's name? Gomer. What's her job? She's a harlot. Yes. Okay. Why did God tell Hosea to do this? The land permitted Okay. Right. Uh, 
So pretty immediately, right, God is explicit about this symbolism. Gomer is this symbol for the nation of Israel. And uh, this whole idea of marriage is kind of central to Hosea, right? We've got the symbolism of Israel being unfaithful to God, where Gomer is uh, is the same as Gomer is unfaithful to Hosea. Uh, so Israel, as indicated, has been pretty unfaithful, like a harlot, uh, and God commands Hosea to take up Gomer as his wife. The relationship of God's people to God, uh, to God is often described as a marriage, right? We get it other places in the Bible. Uh, you know, we talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb, the church to Jesus. This is another instance. Um, so if Hosea's wife uh, is Israel, what is Hosea a symbol for as we go through this book? say God or, or the love of God. Symbol for Israel. Right. So what does that mean uh, essentially like if what does that mean? What are you getting from this symbolism already? Even though Israel is unfaithful and continuously sinful and strays away. All right, good. You got it. Uh, So we'll start with that in your mind. uh, And as we progress through the book, we'll see that Gomer does not stay faithful to Hosea. Uh, And we'll get to learn a lot from how God commands Hosea to react to that. Uh, But I think it's safe to assume that at the start of the relationship, Gomer... You know, kind of followed human nature. Gomer appeared invested and faithful to Hosea, but much as is human nature, she eventually wavered and fell back into her sin. Uh, and we'll touch more on that as we go. But for now, uh, God continues to grow kind of the symbol of Hosea's family through his kids. Let's keep going back. Uh, pick it back up at verse 3, please. And we'll keep going. Chapter 1? Chapter 1, verse 3. Okay. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter, which conceived in him also. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Israel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdoms of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Israel. It's actually bow. Uh, It's uh, literally like the breaking the bow is right now, you know, in war, the bow is like the best weapon. So, uh, you know, breaking the biggest strength. Uh, So, first off, they have a kid. What's his name? Jezreel. And uh, Jezreel, if translated, literally means uh, scattered. All right, uh, which is prophetic, right, of the fact that the Assyrians are coming and they're going to completely take over and scatter the nation of Israel. Uh, but this also has a second meaning because this is also a place. All right. Uh, 
Have you guys ever heard of a guy named Jehu? Never heard of him. So Jehu was a king in uh, the northern kingdom that was anointed by Elisha. You know who Elisha was, right? Okay. Uh, So he had been given the kingdom from King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. uh, And it was in Jezreel, this place, that the final battle happened. Right? So everybody knows that uh, Jezreel is... Uh, where Jehu took power, and essentially the king, Jeroboam, who's in charge right now, is a descendant of Jehu, like a great-grandson, right? So what he's saying here is, I'm going to take back or avenge what happened at Jezreel, right? Because So he's essentially saying that I'm going to take the king out of power by naming his kid this. Uh, <clears throat> so why is that? We already know that the northern kingdom had basically no good kings. Their uh, Baal worship is everywhere. Uh, even though the nation right now is kind of prosperous, like economically, the spirituality of the northern kingdom is pretty... Bad. Uh, so we've got this kid, Jezreel, uh, who's got two things. Number one, we're gonna the king is gonna be removed, and Israel is going to be scattered. Let's keep going and learn about the next child of Hosea. Verse six, please. She conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. The Lord said to him, Name her Loruhim. Loruhima. For I will no longer have compassion of the house of Israel. I will take them all. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor my sword, nor my battle, by horses, nor my horsemen. All right. Uh, so God uses Hosea's second child uh, to further foretell this coming destruction. I gotta. All right, so this one also has a pretty explicit translation. This one means no mercy. Wouldn't you love to have that name? Hmm? I'm not sure. Where are you seeing that? Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. <clears throat> right? So the, the, the symbolism and the imagery is pretty explicit here. God uses the second child to further foretell the coming destruction from the Assyrians. But we get some added information. We now know that unlike the northern kingdom, God will choose to show mercy on the southern kingdom. Uh, Judah. Turn to Second Kings. Chapter 19, verse 35. And whoever's next in line, just read that one verse for me. Second Kings. We're going to see what actually happens here. We're going to jump into the future. Notice how it said that God was going to show mercy, but he wasn't going to do it by the sword or the bow. We're going to see what happens. We're in Second Kings 19, verse 35. And when it came to pass that night, the Assyrians, and 
That's pretty awesome. You know how many 104 score is? A score is 20. Well, 104 score 1,000. So. 104 times 20, right? Well, it's four, uh, four times 20 plus 100. So 180,000. In one night, they just wake up in the morning and they're all dead. All right, so this, remember how he said that the northern kingdom fell first and the southern kingdom fell about 150 years later? That's why. All right, because the Lord decided to show mercy on the southern kingdom, but not on the northern kingdom. Why? Because the northern kingdom had Baal worship. So did the southern kingdom. But it had like molded kings, and this southern kingdom had some with a couple. That is absolutely true. All right. I want to call attention to you to say, though, that mercy is mercy, right? Uh, If I were to spare you because you deserve to be spared, it would be called justice. But if I were to spare you because you didn't deserve to be spared, that's mercy, right? You see the difference? So... He's giving mercy to the southern kingdom and not the northern kingdom, but they're both equally deserving of the judgment. All right, it's just a decision that that God made, and you know it doesn't really matter why. Uh, God is wise and, and just, and that's what He chose to do. Uh, so, <clears throat> one more uh, kid. Let's keep reading back in Hosea chapter one now. Hosea chapter one, picking up at verse eight. Now when she had weaned a lower hama, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, Call his name Lo'ani, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Alright. <clears throat> yes, it does. Alright, which name is your favorite so far? Scattered. No mercy or not my people. (laughs) I think they're all like, I wouldn't want to grow up with those names, right? Uh, It does, it does. But it would be like naming you Albion. Like it's a town, it's a field over there. (laughs) Uh, Something cool happened there at one point. So there's a couple things to consider here with uh, Loami, uh, not my people. First, there might be some cruel irony here uh, in the name of this child. Some scholars theorize that the child may not have actually been Hosea's son. Uh, we know that Gomer is a harlot and that she still practiced her profession. Uh, so we don't know this for sure, that it's necessarily Hosea's, but the text does seem to leave it open to that thought. Secondly, it's important to recognize that God is not judging or sentencing Israel by saying, uh, for you are not my people and I will not be your God. Right? He does say that, but what the way we should understand it is God is simply stating the fact. <clears throat> He's stating the fact of the current spiritual state of Israel. The people of Israel have rejected God, and God is just recognizing that and stating that. All right? So what do we have? We have an unfaithful, sinful Israel. All right? 
symbolized, symbolized by Gomer and Hosea here. We have then their kids, the result of this relationship, right? Uh, the people will be scattered. Uh, the Assyrians are coming. God will not show mercy to the northern kingdom. And the reason for that is the hearts of the people, right? They have rejected God, so God accepts that rejection. Pretty dark so far. Let's see what Hosea says next. Pick it up, verse 10, please. Yet the humble children in Israel are, shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be uh, measured nor humbled. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye, ye are not my people, there it shall, shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Yep, just one more verse. Say say unto your brethren, um, and to your sister, Rohema. Rohema. All right. Uh, Do you guys recognize those? Jezreel. Ami and Rohema? Yeah. If you take, the low means no. The low means no. All right. So we have all of this negative stuff put together. This is the state of Israel when we pick up the story of Hosea. Uh, and then these last three or four verses here at the end is our but. All right. So even though God is going to allow the Assyrians to exert judgment on Israel, what does it say is going to happen? Uh, you have mercy and you are my people, but you're still scared. Well, so essentially he's saying, okay, everybody's, we're going to come back to this place. We're all going to rejoin. So eventually that judgment will end. Eventually the northern and southern kingdoms will be rejoined, right? We won't have that dividing line anymore. Uh, eventually the number of children of Israel shall be like the sands in the sea. Right? And eventually there will be one head over Israel. How does this happen? Has it happened yet? So I think symbolically it definitely has come to pass through Jesus. Right? He is the unifying force over Israel, but also this has a look into the future. The second coming. Absolutely. Alright? So we got two things here, and this these three verses, these three, four verses are very powerful, right? We've got this incredibly, you know, uh, unfaithful, harlotish uh, Israel, but God still loves them enough to say, okay, we're eventually we're going to get back to this point where everything will be reunited. Uh, so notice, as we kind of alluded to, how all of the names of Hosea's kids are redeemed, right? Uh, the text says... Great shall be the day of Jezreel, and the people will say to their brothers, Ami, or my people, and to their sisters, Rahema, or mercy is shown. All right? Uh, so at this point, everybody will come together, there will be unification, and there will, will be mercy, and 
Israel will be considered God's people. Uh, so God takes the names of Hosea's kids and flips them in this promise of Jesus coming and what he'll do. All right. So this is kind of the introduction into Hosea. We've got this state of the uh, nation of Israel right now. It's divided. It's unfaithful. It's not following what God has for them to do. And as we go along, we'll have to learn from Hosea and the way that he interacts with his family. Right? We'll learn uh, from this prophet who did all that the Lord asked him to do, and some of it was pretty hard. Right? doesn't necessarily get any easier than naming your kids scattered, no mercy, and not my people. Right? So uh, we'll go on next week, but this is an introduction to Hosea, and we'll do more next week. Thanks, guys.